Well, having served as a police officer, I like to collect things related to cops, and uh, one of those is comic strips. And I have this little one-panel comic strip that's titled A Policeman's Hell. And as you look at it, it shows the back view of a policeman standing at a cave, and there are flames all around, and there are two tables in front of him. And it's called A Policeman's Hell because he's dealing with a very difficult decision. He's looking at these two tables, and both of them contain items that he wants. And above him is a sign that says, choose one and only one. And as you look at it, on one table is a box of bullets, and on the other table is a box of donuts. (laughs) Now, I know some of you are thinking, what's the problem? He's just going to grab the donuts, right? Well, cops, believe it or not, desire to serve and protect the public. And so as he's faced with this decision, he wants both, but he can only have one. As we look at Philippians chapter 1 today, we're going to see where Paul is faced with a difficult dilemma. He's faced with a choice of two things, and he wants both, but he can have one and only one at the moment. And Paul, having a desire to serve others chooses the one that would be better for the people rather than just for Paul. I invite you to look with me in your Bible at Philippians chapter 1 and verses 21 through 26 as we see the choices that Paul faced. Philippians 1, 21 and following says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions." having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul says, I'm faced with a tough choice. Do I continue living, which will mean fruitful labor for the Lord and a benefit for you, believers in Christ? Or do I depart and go home to heaven and enjoy my rest and rewards? Now, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks looking at the life of Paul, if there was anybody who was dealing with difficult stuff, it was Paul. If there was anybody who had a right to say, you know, I just want to pull the ejection cord and punch out and leave this earth and go home to glory where there are no more cares and concerns— it would be Paul. But as Paul thinks about this, he says, I'm hard-pressed as to which to choose. He says, I have this desire to depart. The Greek word for departing here is a rich word. It has a, a variety of different meanings, all of them that apply to Paul's situation. One way that it was used was of a prisoner who would be set free. You'll recall Paul was in prison. Another word that this, uh, another way this was used was of a farmer that unyoked his oxen. Jesus gives the image of oxen in a yoke in Matthew chapter 11. There in verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Now, As we've talked about all that Paul is facing, you might say, how in the world does this apply to Paul? As you think about the yoke that that God is offering to those who follow him, where he says, my load is easy. Uh, Paul, you would think, is one that wasn't a candidate for this. I've shown you a yoke before. This is uh, a yoke that belonged to Kim's great-grandfather. 
And, and the way that a yoke worked is you would put uh, an animal on one side and then there was a place for the other. And I'm going to turn this upside down for a little ease of illustration. But as you think about uh, Paul, what God is saying is, Paul, you're over here on this side of the yoke. And as you look at the oak, the yoke, it, it, it speaks to the truth of what Christ says because what God is saying is, Paul, there's another place. You're not bearing the load alone. If, if there was only one animal trying to pull the load, then, then it would be difficult. But what the yoke, God's yoke, shows to us as believers is we're not going it alone. We have our side, and God has his side. And if we're trying to do it all by ourselves, then indeed it becomes weary and burdensome. But we're not in this alone. You recall last time we talked about how we never walk alone, that God is with us. And as you look at this image of what the yoke was, Paul was being reminded of, Paul, this is not your burden to bear alone. If you come into my office, this actually hangs on the wall above my desk. And it's there to remind me every day that I walk into to Wayside, into my office, and I sit down in that chair, I look at this yoke above the desk. And it's there to remind me that the, this is not my church. This is God's church. And, and the loads that are here are not mine to bear alone. If, if I were trying to do it all alone, believe me, it would, it would wipe me out. And there's a great team of other pastors and staff, elders, so many of you who volunteer here. But the bottom line is the needs of this ministry and the burdens of the people are enormous. And if we try to bear it alone, we can't do it. And you can't do it in your own life as well. The scripture reminds us of that. It says in Galatians 6, 2, to bear one another's burdens. As I was walking around again before the service, there were two different couples that I sat down with and prayed for this morning. Both of them have just gone through some very difficult health issues, both the husband and the wife. And many of you are coming alongside these families and you're helping them. One of them was Glenn and Emerlyn Schaefer. And, and as I talked to them, they were telling me about how great Wayside has been, how the people are just overwhelming them with food. They said, we've had to get a second freezer just for all the food. And we've told people, quit. Quit bringing the food. In fact, they make you stay and eat with them. They not only get the benefit of the food you brought, but the fellowship. And they talked about the prayer and the support. Last week, there was a, a young couple that came up after the second service. And they said, we've been here at Wayside two weeks and, and this wife, who is a young mom with four young children, said, I just found out I have stage four cancer. And, and the husband is there in tears. And I said to them, you don't have to walk this road alone. We as a church family are here to support you, to help you. I talked about the care and comfort group that our church has that are other cancer survivors, others who are walking through that time and others who have been through it. I said, they can walk alongside, they can help you. We can help you with food. We can help you with different things. You're not going to be in this alone. And friends, this is the picture that God gives to us, whether it's in the ministry or in our own personal lives. He tells us, don't go alone. He is with us, and he's given us other believers to bear one another's burdens. And so that's why we can read a passage where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is rest that God offers if we will take our side of the yoke and let him have his. As you think of this yoke, the, the other meaning of the, the Greek word that is used here was a euphemism for death. 
It, it described a sailor that would loose the moorings of a ship that was tied to a dock so it could be set free to go out to sea. It was used of a sailor breaking camp where he would fold up his tent and as they bivouacked and moved on to the next location, they were breaking camp and moving on. Sometimes in a funeral, I'll use the illustration of the old sailing ships. If you've ever been to one and you've heard me talk about in the days of old, there were these massive masted sailing ships and and families and people would gather at the dock as they would load the cargo and the people into these ships. And they would unmoor the ship, they would untie it, and the ship would begin to move out to sea. As it went farther and farther out to sea, the people who were on the dock would be watching as the ship moved away and and ultimately just became a tiny speck and then ultimately disappeared over the horizon. And at that moment, the people on this side would say, they're gone. But on the other side of the horizon, people would see a speck appear. And that ship would begin to come into full view as it got closer and closer. And eventually it would make port on the other side, wherever it was going. And when it arrived, the people who were there would say, they've arrived, they're home. And this is what Paul is saying for us as a believer. When we die on this side on earth, those of us who who watch a loved one move away, we say they're gone. But those in heaven at that moment, as we pass from this side to heaven, say they're home. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so this is what Paul is speaking of when he says, I have this desire to depart. I have this desire to be unyoked from this world, to be released from this physical life. He, he says that, that this is to gain. He says in verse 21, to die is to gain. Now, that's not how the world thinks of death, is it? When we think of death, we think of it as a loss. I still vividly remember uh, almost 10 years ago, my mom went home to be with the Lord. And as I was there with her as she walked through the, the last days and she was in hospice and I was there caring for her at her bedside. And, and when, she, when she died, people said to me, Roger, I am so sorry for your loss. And you know, it was a loss. It was a loss of a great lady that I love very much. And as I thought about my mom leaving, that loss, I immediately thought of this passage. No, it's my mom's gain. She's home. She's home with the Lord. Now, on this side, there was a loss. I not only lost this great lady, there are so many times even now I want to pick up the phone and just say, hey, mom, and I go, I can't do that. I, I think about the loss for my kids. My son wasn't even born at the time. My two girls were young. And, and my mom was a master seamstress. It's the way she supported our family growing up. And after she no longer had to do a little one-woman sweatshop, literally, to support our family, she loved to sew just for fun. And she made these beautiful, intricate, hand-smocked dresses with embroidery and lace. And the girls were just, you know, they were beautiful. And, and the girls don't have that anymore. And I don't, I don't mourn the loss of the stuff what, what is the loss is the influence that my mom would have on those girls and on my son. But as I think of all that, it's so easy for us to sit here and tally up all the loss, isn't it? And what Paul says is, remember, we've seen Paul's perspective through the whole book of Philippians is, what are we gaining? Don't, don't look over here. He says, look ahead. And so what Paul says, let's look at the gain. And friends, when a believer in Christ dies, there is gain. There's huge gain. 
The word gain is literally defined as something that is acquired. It means to increase or get an advantage. It describes something that is taken possession of. You see, when a Christian dies, we're not losing our life. Rather, what we're taking possession of is our eternal life. Do you realize that? When we leave this earth, we step into heaven and we gain the gift of eternal life. In John 5, 24, Jesus tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. This is the new and eternal life that we gain. It's free from death and disappointments. We don't suffer the effects of growing old. We don't suffer the uh, accidents in this world. There's no more disease or dealing with the disappointments of life. Gone are all the tears of grief. Revelation 21 verse 4 tells us this, and he that is God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. When we get to heaven, there will be perfect joy. Perfect joy. As we talked about in an earlier message, we will be made perfect as well. Ultimately, we'll receive a resurrection body that will not suffer, that will be perfect. I can picture myself in heaven as having massive muscles. And, uh, you know, I, I had a friend who, an older gentleman who went through just devastating cancer. And his, his face had just been decimated. All his hair was gone. He was all shrunk up. And he came in one day to a Bible study. He was about 70 years old at the time. And he had stuffed his shirt with, with clothes. So he looked muscle bound. He had this long, blonde, flowing wig on. And he said, I just want you to see what I'm going to look like in heaven. You know, there's going to be perfect uh, joy, perfect bodies. We will be made perfect. Remember when we talked about the sanctification process? All the old things will go away, our sin nature and other things. Romans 8.30 says, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. That's when we come to faith. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Remember that when we step through the gates of heaven. And our full glory is we're made like God and our sin nature is done away with. God guarantees this as well as the new and glorious home for us. In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Friends, do you realize that the most opulent mansion on this earth will not even look like a dilapidated shack when it's compared with our new home in heaven? These are just some of the things that we gain when we go home to the Lord. Instead of looking at the lost side of things on this earth, we need to look, as Paul did, at what he will gain, what we will gain as believers in Christ. We could spend literally weeks talking about heaven and all that it will be like. But what Paul tells us here is that before God brings us home, he has work for us to do. Paul knew that, which is why he said in verse 22, but if I am to live on in the flesh... This will mean fruitful labor for me. You know, so many Christians look ahead to that day when they will die that they stop living life while they're still here. You know, friends, I don't want my tombstone to say died at age 48, buried at age 80. 
What will your tombstone say? Died at age blank and buried at? Are we those who are just going through life coasting, saying, oh, just when I get home to heaven? Are we living our life here? Saying, as long as God has given me breath, he's given me the ability to serve him. Even if we're bedridden, as long as we're alive, we can serve him through prayer. We can encourage others. We can do many things for God as long as we're here. As you look at Paul, remember that he's under arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's facing a death sentence. And yet Paul says, as long as I'm here, I can serve God. He didn't have this retirement mentality that said, I'm just going to kick back until I kick the bucket. For those who live their lives like that, do you know what secular studies, not even Bible, okay? If, if you want to set God's word aside and say, well, the world offers us fun and, and you know, health, wealth, and prosperity. And all. You know what secular studies have found about people who live their life just to kick back and rock their way uh, to their golden years or just have a life of recreation? They find that those individuals, when they retire, deteriorate quickly, and their, their level of satisfaction with life deteriorates quickly. Even those who have a very affluent lifestyle can go play golf all day or go fish or do whatever it is that you're just looking forward to that day when that's all you have to do. What they find is that after a few uh, months and at the longest, a few years, people suddenly are very dissatisfied with life. Even when they continue to live, many of them die earlier. Even when they continue to live, what they find is that uh, nobody told them this. That a lifestyle of self-indulgence and spending money cannot bring the level of satisfaction that comes from spending ourselves to make a lasting impact. If you're somebody who's looking forward to that time where you can just kick back and coast till you kick the bucket, you will find dissatisfaction in serving yourself rather than spending your life with a purpose. For those of you who find yourself with extra time, whether you're young or old, there are plenty of places that you can make a lasting impact for all eternity. There are many ministries that you can serve in within the doors of Wayside Chapel and even outside the doors that we're involved in. You hear about the Colonial Hills Initiative all the time. And I love to hear the stories of those that are serving as mentors in the classroom. Many of them are men and women who have finished their professional life. And what they're doing now is being in these classrooms, impacting one life at a time as they're, they're helping these disadvantaged students acquire abilities that are needed for their lifetime. We have those who serve in SAM Ministries, San Antonio Metro Ministries here. There's, there are so many things that Wayside Chapel's involved in. If you're sitting back and you're wondering, what can I do? I want you to call Lynn Hamilton. If you look in the bulletin, you'll see that she is uh, in charge of our 55-plus ministry. And she will give you a list of many vibrant places that you can plug in and use your life skills. And you don't have to be 55 plus. There are people who are in their 20s and 30s that are saying, I have extra time. How can I invest my life? so that it accounts for eternity. And we have places to help you do that. Last week as I ended my message, I asked you to take verse 21 and fill in the blanks with what best described your life. Do you remember that? I said, for me to live is blank and to die is what? And I showed you some of the ways that the world fills in that, that verse for us. For me to live is money and to die is to leave it all behind. For me to live is fame, 
and to die is to quickly be forgotten. But friends, when we fill our life in with Christ, it equals great gain in this lifetime and in the one to come. There's a day coming when we're all going to face death. And at that moment, the question is, has your life counted for Christ? Did you invest your life in the things that last for all eternity? As you consider that question, let me remind you not to wait. Because none of us here know when our time is over. You know, just this past week, we've had reminders of that once again, haven't we? We heard of the the tragic explosion in West Texas, where people were going about their day-to-day life, and suddenly the fertilizer plant exploded and killed individuals and wiped out whole portions of the community. Nobody got up that morning and thought, this is the, the day that my life is over. This is the day that my home is leveled. This is the day that my business is gone. We saw it on the Boston Marathon. People were there celebrating a race. People at the peak of health. People enjoying and and celebrating friends and family. And suddenly, because of a terrorist action, lives were gone. Lives were changed. As 160 people were injured and maimed for life. Sometimes you hear pastors tell you, you know, when you walk out of the doors of this church, you may not make it home. And in the back of our minds, we always think, yeah, yeah. But friends, that happens. I saw that happen in the first church that I pastored, a country Bible church in Kaufman, Texas, a small uh, farming ranching community 30 miles southeast of Dallas. We had a Christian school at Country Bible, Kaufman Christian School. And one day, a family from our church, uh, Reed and Mickey Oliver, they had two great kids, Jesse and Jake. They were there at the church. Their kids were in our Christian school, and one afternoon, Mickey came to pick up her daughter, Jessie, who was 10 years old. She checked her out of school. They were going to go and have a a mommy-daughter day. They pulled out of the parking lot of our church. They turned down the highway right off where our church was, and as they went around a corner less than half a mile up the road from our church, there was a construction area with a soft shoulder, and their Suburban went off the road and rolled over multiple times. They were both wearing their seatbelts. But in the accident, they were both injured. I was called to the scene of the accident, and as I rushed to the scene and I got there, uh, Mickey was in the back of the ambulance. I got in the back with her. Their daughter, Jessie, was being loaded onto a gurney to be put on a care flight helicopter to be taken to Children's Medical Center in Dallas. And as I was there in the back of the ambulance holding Mickey's hands, praying for her and for Jessie, trying to get the, the father, Reed, on the phone who was in Dallas working, We watched the helicopter lift off. Mickey was taken to one hospital. And that little girl had suffered a traumatic head injury. And for two weeks, she battled for her life. And she went home to be with the Lord at the end of those two weeks. And as I thought through last week's message, and I said, when we face those difficult things, remember, I said, don't just ask the question, why? But in the midst of tragedy, ask what? God, what are you doing? How? How can you use this in my life for the life of others? I thought of the Oliver family. Because in the midst of that tragedy, as we watched all that was happening, we saw God coming in and using a very tragic and difficult situation to change others' lives. As Mickey was in one hospital and and Jesse was in another hospital, our church rallied around this family. Reed would have to go between the two hospitals to see his wife and his daughter and 
Our family was holding a prayer vigil there at Children's, and as we would fill the, the waiting room for these days and nights, uh, they were bringing food, and there were not only the Oliver family, there were lots of other families that were there, many that didn't have a church home. And our church was bringing enough food to feed everybody. And we were ministering and praying for other families, and, and I would spend the nights there at Jesse's bed, and as I was there, night after night, the, the doctors and nurses found out who I was. And as they would come in and they would uh, treat Jesse, many of them would say, Pastor, can I sit down and just talk to you? They'd say, you know, we're in here day in and day out dealing with these type of situations, seeing these little children. And we don't understand God. And, and there's hard things happening. And many of us don't have church homes or the ability to go. And, and I would pray for these doctors and nurses and techs. And they would pour their life out in their problems. And one of the doctors came to receive the Lord at Jesse's bedside. There were several others that said, I'm, I'm recommitting my life to Christ. And then when the day of the funeral came, here's the little girl, Jesse. She's a sweet little girl. I baptized her. I knew her. And at Jesse's funeral, there were many who came to Christ. Most of the town turned out it was overflowing for her funeral. And people came to know the Lord. On the back of her funeral program, you know, I always say, God, what are you doing? You know, Jesse wrote a note that morning and had it in her backpack, and we put it on the back of her funeral program. It said, Dear anybody, if you don't know about Jesus, I have some advice. Read the Bible. Your friend, Jess. Why did she write that note that morning? Why did she stick it in her backpack? So that was on the back of her funeral program. Well, not only was her life used during those short 10 years where she lived her life for the Lord, but then it was used for that doctor and children's. It was used for those people who came to know the Lord at the funeral. And it was used even 10 years later. I received an email from Reed uh, we've continued to be great friends, and a few years ago, he sent me an email. And he had a good friend by the name of Skip. And 10 years after the funeral, Skip was 39 at the funeral, and at the age of 49, he sent this email to Reed, the father. It was titled, Been Going Through Some Changes. And in it, he included a poem about Jesse and the journey he had been on because of her. He said, Memories of a little girl, I loved her like my own taken from us way too soon in a moment she was gone you should have heard the preacher tell of the gifts she'd leave behind written notes of love and hope left for the lost to find have you tried my jesus won't you let him in your heart have you tried my jesus would you like a brand new start I couldn't understand just why you took her light away. And in my foolish anger, Lord, I turned my heart away. Fast forward 10 years later, looking back on where I'd been, so much of life I've wasted, I refuse to let you in. All the pain I felt inside since I turned my back on you, when I finally hit rock bottom, I heard her words come through. Have you tried my Jesus? Won't you let him in your heart? Have you tried my Jesus? Would you like a brand new start? Now I know she's looking down, smiling at what she sees. The sinner that her uncle was, giving praise on bended knee. I learned it's not an easy thing to heed the Savior's call. 
Sometimes I feel just like a child. I stumble and I fall. But in my darkest hours, a little light comes streaming in. I hear a young girl's voice so sweet asking me again, Have you tried my Jesus? Won't you let him in your heart? Have you tried my Jesus? Would you like a brand new start? Friends, if you're here today and you feel yourself piled under some weight, if you find yourself needing a new start, I invite you to come to Jesus and he will give it to you. He invites us to begin a relationship with him where not only do we receive the gift of eternal life, but he invites us to step into the yoke where he says, if you're weary and you're burdened, take my yoke upon you. Let me be the one that is on the other side, carrying you through, pulling you through the dark times. Jesse had made the decision to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior. So on that day that she died, Jesus welcomed her home to heaven. Her life was cut far too short by our own standards. But she's home with the Lord and enjoying eternal life. And her life continues to pay dividends. In the life of a man like Skip, who at 49 said, I'm going to turn to Christ. If you're here today and you're waiting to come to Christ, let me remind you, you don't know how long your life is. You don't know when your life will come to a close. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I'm just trying to help you understand that we need to make our life count for all eternity. And you and I are not in control of the future. Jesse was only given a few short years, but she made them count for eternity. As you look at your life today, is that true of you? Is your life counting for eternity? Paul was one who said, my life will count for Christ. My life will count for eternity. Whether I have days or I get released from this jail cell and continue on in this life, he said, I'm going to make it count for Christ. As he looked ahead, he said, whatever the time is that I have left, I want to make sure I'm using it for God and his glory. He says in verses 25 through 26, and convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Death would have brought Paul immediate release. The cares, the concerns, the grief, the pain, everything of this world he could have left behind. And as a man who came to Christ and then lived for him after that, that encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, he would have been able to say, there are rewards waiting for me in heaven and there's rest. But Paul said, as long as God has me here, I will serve faithfully. I will continue to live my life. And as he did, as he pressed ahead, he knew he wasn't alone. He, he knew that in that yoke, there were others who were bearing the burden with him. Not only was God with him, but the other believers who were supporting him in prayer and other ways. As he spoke of the Philippians, he said in verse 26 that he had a proud confidence. The word is the intensive form of joy. I like the way the New International Version translates this. It says, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. There's the word. Now, Paul's not being cocky, saying, hey, without me, there's no joy. But what he's saying is, as you look at my life and as you partner with me in what I'm going through, he says, you have a proud confidence, a part in what is happening. Not only in the rewards but also just in in knowing that my release will be because of you. 
I've shared with you before about how my wife and I went through those years of infertility. And again, it was at this first church that 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 family walked through us with it. And many in that church were praying for us. And I shared recently about how as we had gone through over a decade, there was a, a little boy by the name of Drew Hartley. He was five at the time that he started praying for us. And he would pray literally every night for my wife and I to be able to have a baby. And his dad, Mike, would come and say, you know, Drew's praying for you. Drew's praying for you. He continues every, just about every night to say, we need to pay, pray for Pastor Roger and Kim that they're going to be able to have, have a baby. And on that day when I finally got to stand before the congregation and announce with great joy, we're pregnant. Drew, who was about 10 at the time, turned to his father and he said, Dad, we did it. He had a proud confidence. He knew they indeed had a part in God's amazing grace in giving us that child because of his faithful prayers and being a part of it. He said, Dad, we did it. And this is what Paul was saying to the Philippians. On that day when I receive my release, whether I get out of prison or I go home to glory, when that release comes, however it is that God's will designs my release, you will have had a part in it. Paul said the prayers of the Philippians were a part of the way God was at work. And as Paul writes these things, he makes a transition in the next verse from talking about his circumstances to talking about their conduct. He calls them not just to talk to God in prayer, but he also calls on them to walk the talk of their position as believers. And I want to hold that till next time when we come back. As we close today, what I want to remind you of is all of us today are faced with decisions like Paul. All of us have choices to make as we look at our life and as we look ahead. And when those choices come, we have to decide as Paul did. Will we set aside something we want in order to do what God wants with us? We may not have to choose between life and death as Paul did, but we will have to choose how we will live our life. And sometimes that means dying daily to the temptations, to the things that we may want in this world. When when those temptations come, when those choices face us, do I cheat at school? Do I cut corners at work? Do I go after that relationship or or sexual involvement with somebody that might bring me short-term fulfillment in this, this time, but it's not the choice that God wants for me? Which one will we choose? Will we choose to serve the Almighty God or will we bow to the Almighty Dollar? As we face choices in this life, which one will you choose? Will you choose, as Paul did, to live for Christ and thus to die is gain? If you're looking at what you may have to give up in this lifetime, friends, may I remind you to look to the cross, to look to what Jesus gave up for us, how he left his throne in heaven, the glory and the worship he was receiving to come to earth, to take on flesh and blood, to ultimately take our place as he went to the cross to die a horrible death, to pay the penalty of death for our sins, so that when we die, having received him as our Savior, we will be able to go home to glory with him. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What choice will you make today? Will you join me, please, as we close in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. 
God, we thank you for giving us your word. For using a man like Paul who gave up so much by the world's standards. But Lord, what he gave up was nothing in comparison to what he gained. Would you help us, Lord, to be able to realize that as well as we look at the things that we're faced with, the choices we have to make, that the short-term things that we give up are nothing in comparison with all that we will gain. So, Lord Jesus, as we go through this life, as we face the difficulties, as we face the loss, as I think of many families who are here today that have lost loved ones, whether it's Reed and Mickey who lost Jesse, uh, recently those in our church who have lost husbands, wives, those who have lost children as well. Lord, we know that it's, it's a hole. It's a hurt for us. And yet as we look ahead, we know that you've given us a place where we'll get to see those loved ones again. We'll get to see the people that we love. I think of uh, the Kylers and their son as he went home, and I had the privilege of being a part of his service here at Wayside. I, I know that they, they grieve him. I think of the most recent loss of uh, Karen T. Bruggy and Al as he goes through that time without her here. Father, there are many that are grieving, but you tell us in your word that we grieve not as the unbeliever who has no hope, that we have a hope, we have a promise that one day we get to see our loved ones again. And so, Lord Jesus, as we look ahead to that, would you help us to have that eternal perspective? Would we be able to rejoice in that? So help us now to go out into the world and live our lives for you, making them count for all eternity. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are prayer leaders at the front. If you have a need of somebody to stand with you and bear your burden, they're here for you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.